0: If it's your first time listening to She is Becoming, we are a podcast of multi-generational women studying God's Word. Dedicated to being transformed by the renewing of our mind. To binge all our episodes, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, the Grace Church app, and we are on the Grace Church website. It's a new feature we have. So you can visit www.grace.church and go to the women's tab, and we are right on there. Um, and also, you can follow us on Instagram at She Is Becoming Podcast so that we can engage with you. So Without further ado, I am your co-host Delaney, and I am joined by my co-host Bev via phone. This is new for us, Bev.
1: This is a new thing for us, but I really appreciate the modern technology. So many people are working from home, and I am working from a temporary home right now. I'm in California. And oh Delaney, my goodness! You're you're at the church, aren't you?
0: I am. I'm in Minnesota. You're in California. How cool is this?
1: It, it is. It's a wonderful uh, blessing of technology. There's a lot of hard things about it, but there's a lot of blessings. And this is one of them. So we're just grateful, aren't we?
0: Amen. Amen to that. And I will say I am not at all jealous that you are in California by the ocean. Just not even jealous at all.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> Actually, I'm in the I'm a, I'm in the desert. I'm in Palm Springs. So oh,
0: well, you know, I would take no that water. over I mean sand over snow any day. That's like my anthem.
1: Yes, I agree. It's it's beautiful and it's green and it's sunny, which makes such a big difference in our mood. Totally agreed. Agreed. Hey, you've got some big updates too for to share with us. Yeah,
0: so sister's quick update. Um, I got married. Um, I just got married January 31st to my best friend of over 10 years. He is a super godly, super fine man of God. And I could not be more thrilled. He is literally an answer to prayer.
1: Yes, he is.
0: Yeah. So just so many cool things happening. I got married. Bev's been in California just so many things, but we wanted to just give you a little update here about what's just going on in our lives. But now we're going to introduce our topic for today. So sisters, are you ready? So when God acts... He very often will use a person that he has prepared for a job. We see this all over scripture. So God calls that person and he equips that person. In fact, all of us are actually called to answer God in our own generation. We are called to step up to the plate and not hide in the crowd. To step up to the plate for when to stand for God and his truth is not always the end thing. And when we stand, it will be costly, but I believe that we are in those days now and that God has called you specifically, sister, to be in that place now. So for the next two episodes, we are going to be diving into a prophet in the Old Testament who was called by God to step up to the plate, and his name is Elijah. I know you guys have heard many stories about him. We cannot wait to talk about him. So Bev, can you just give us like a little bit of background on this prophet and all of these messages that he conveyed and how they apply to us today?
1: Great. I also wanted to add a personal note here before we dive into Elijah. I have a grandson, our youngest grandson, is named Elijah. And over the last few days, he's been here visiting. And I've been telling him all these stories about Elijah. And he gets the biggest grin on his face to learn these things about his namesake. That's so special. This has really been very sweet, very sweet. But let's start with Elijah's story in these early years of preparation. And we find him in 1 Kings 16 and 17 chapters. And um, we need to put him into context, into his day, because it's never the right thing to just take something out of the context in Scripture. We always want to put it in the context and in the days that they're living in. So before we start here, we're going to remember that at this time of Elijah, the nation of Israel had been divided into two Nations, And it had had been going on for some 200 years, so this was a well-established divide in the nation. The northern kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. Each of them had separate monarchs or separate kings. The northern kingdom of Israel had a total of 19 monarchs who all did evil in the Lord's eyes. Scripture says it again and again. It's very sobering. Then we have the southern kingdom of Judah, and there were 17 kings there, and among them, eight followed the Lord. So just a little under half in that area. Elijah was a prophet to the north, to Israel. What a tough assignment. Israel had forsaken God for many years, but God is going to step in now and say, enough. And he's going to do it through his prophet, Elijah. It would certainly take a very unique person, wouldn't it, Delaney, to walk Absolutely. into this kind of situation. Yeah. At the time, King Ahab and his infamous mm-hmm. wife, Jezebel, were reigning in Israel and had adopted Jezebel's god, Baal, and Baal's mother, Asherah. Out of nowhere appears Elijah, the Tishvite. From Tishbe, (laughs) and he appears before them. This no one, this from a no place. Um, Elijah shows himself to be a fiery individual with no reputation, no position to lose because he really had none. Elijah was God's unwelcome prophet and voice in a very godless generation. Wow! His first message in the Bible that is mentioned is when Elijah very simply shares these words with the king and Jezebel. As the Lord God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew or rain in the next few years except at my word. Now after that announcement uh, Elijah just disappears from the king's presence um, he's commanded by God to go to Kereth ravine east of the Jordan River which is in the middle of nowhere and he is going God says uh, Elijah I'm gonna command the ravens to feed you they're gonna bring you bread and meat in the morning and in the evening and then you're to drink your water from the brook can you imagine this plan?
0: Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> that's,
1: that's the thing. He went, yeah, uh, wow. knowing there was going to be famine in the land, and yet his trust in the Lord was so absolute. Um, next, and pretty soon the, the brook does dry up because no rain, no rain, day after day, week after week, month after month. And remember, it's going to be a three-year period of drought. So for much of the time, uh, Elijah is here getting fed by these birds. Then he's told after the it dries up, the brook dries up, he's to go to a, a widow in Zarapath, uh, where a, this widow, widow, excuse me, would feed him uh, for the rest of the famine that was going on. And he he goes there and he meets this woman and he asks her for just a, a bite of food and some water. And the widow says to him, honestly, this is, I was going to go home and make our last meal. This is all I have left. And then my son and I were going to die. But in faith, she does go get Elijah the last bit of food and gives him water. And she sees that her flour, and her jug of oil never ran out till the famine was over. Wow. Also, when Elijah was staying with her, she had a family crisis, her son, her only son. So this would have been her, her future died. Yeah. And he, he his death, she was she came down and she was very upset with the man of God, as she called him Elijah. And Elijah just goes to the Lord and just pleads for this boy's life and um, after much prayer the boy's life returns to him and he's able to hand him back to his mother wow that's powerful so elijah, isn't that powerful yeah he, he was um so all in and such uh he believed in the power of god like few others right uh elijah was pre- really prepared through these three years of hardship that god will provide and that he uses unlikely methods to accomplish his purposes. So these would have just been seared into his soul. This was a time of building trust. Elijah also learned what it was to be put on hold by God. Can you imagine? So you finally get started in this call on God. Boom, he gives one sentence message to the king, and then disappears from the scene for three years.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow.
1: But this solitude and the silence would have been essential to his training. So what, what can we take away from these early days of Elijah? What questions maybe do we need to ask ourselves? Are there lessons here for us? First of all, are we willing to stand up for God in godless places? You know, we always hope it's somebody else that God wants to speak up if it's a certain crowd of friends or a certain place at work we always think it must be that someone else like i tell the grandchildren oh you mean someone else yeah. is going to do that yeah. right we we even think that way as an adult yeah and secondly are we willing to call out sin or do we just go along with the crowd
0: yeah that's a word i mean i mean think about that too that elijah is saying this then and like how much does that apply to us right now <laughs>
1: It does. It does. And then also, are we seeing our own solitude? And we've had a lot of solitude with this virus. Um, Do we see our own neediness? Both those things, solitude, neediness, maybe feeling like we've been put on a shelf, it really is an opportunity to learn to trust God to provide. And that's a hard one. That's a hard one. So, anyway, Delaney, God has prepared his servant now uh, for such a day as his. But what happens next? What really is the climax of this prophet's um, responsibilities?
0: yeah so thank you for sharing that I love that that Elijah depended or really depended on God and he was fed by birds and we you know for food and we still have to depend on God um, every day for that daily bread even if we're not getting it through birds which would be really cool but anyways yeah, yeah so <laughs> we're gonna talk a little bit about this really cool confrontation that Elijah has and we're gonna be mainly in First Kings 18 and just as Bev you know you explained, like Ahab was the king of Syria he was married to Jezebel like they are no in the Bible for their cruelty they have their flagrant idolaters they they're they're ridiculers of God like it's they're infamous and so yeah there's a severe famine in Samaria and God commands Elijah to visit Ahab and Ahab kind of blames Elijah like when they see each other and he's like is this you the cause of disaster to Israel some versions call say like is this you the troubler of Israel and Elijah responds to Ahab by telling him that it's actually him and his family's disobedience to God and idol worship that has brought this famine so Samaria's consequence for their disobedience was drought and is that like not a word for us like today like how the blame
1: game yes we want to blame others we never think we're the guilty one we never think that totally the garden of Eden again right Yes. It was Eve's fault. No, it was the serpent's fault.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's so true. And like also like how often has continual intentional disobedience like brought a drought in your relationship with the Lord? <laughs> like just like yeah. the people of Samaria, like we worship other gods. You know, we, we have other idols in our life, which cause a rift in our relationship with God, even though Jesus promises, but whoever drinks of the water and I will give him will never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing to a springing to eternal life so Samaria needed water and so do we and Jesus like offers you know the living water but anyways I digress that could be a whole other episode um so Elijah tells Ahab um to gather 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah to go to Mount Carmel and also like the people of God are going with them to Mount Carmel so Elijah confronts the people of God and he's asked them, like, who are you going to serve? If it's God, then follow him. If it's Baal, follow him. And you really just get this picture and sense that, like, God's people were vacillating between the two. They were half in, they were half out. Like, they were totally lukewarm believers. They were chosen by God, yet in an illicit affair with idolatry. But our God is a jealous God. Our Yahweh, it sure is. Y- facts. Our God Yahweh, like he is an all-consuming fire and his presence demands an internal response. Like you cannot respond tepidly to him. He is the ruler of your heart or he's not. It's that simple. So the people of God, they don't answer. Maybe it's out of fear, shame, unbelief. We don't really know, but it's definitely lacking any sort of repentance or humility. So Elijah says, I am the only prophet of God, and there are 450 prophets of Baal. So let's put our gods to the test to see who the real God is. And they have two oxen, and they cut it up, and they place it on the wood. So this is like an altar situation, um, but they don't put any fire on anything yet. And Elijah says, you call on your God, and I'll call on the Lord, and the God who brings the fire is God. So the prophets of Baal are probably like, yes, I really like my odds. Like they've got every advantage awarded to them, yet they don't take the almighty God into account. And this response from the prophet of Baal kind of makes me laugh because they're just like, this is a good idea. And I'm like, I'm just like, you guys don't know what's about to happen, <laughs> yeah. but it's, yeah. it's kind of funny. But the prophets of Baal first, they prepare the ox, but they don't put any fire under it. They call upon the name of Baal from morning till noon, it says, multiple hours saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. No one answers. It says that they limped about the altar they had made and they butchered themselves and a muted them, mutilated themselves for their God. And Elijah ridicules them. And this cracks me up because in first 1 Kings eighteen twenty seven, and Bev, you know, it's coming. He says, I do call out with a loud voice. Since he is God, undoubtedly he is attending to business or is on the way or is on a journey perhaps he's asleep and will awaken so um on that first little part y'all can definitely be filling in the blanks but whoever tells yes. you that the bible is boring like you have to read them this story
1: yes that's for sure this, this story, is drama uh, at the 10th degree
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah the story is wild so then they um they started yelling and they're still cutting themselves and this was custom um to get their god's attention so they're trying to get bill's attention and in verse 28 of First um, Kings 18, it actually says that blood gushed out of them.
1: So this just is... Stop a minute. This is something. I mean, yeah. do we have to do all this to get God's attention? Right? He just says, pray, talk to me, talk to me. Right.
0: And the fact you that like... You
1: don't need to flagellate yourself in yeah. order to get my attention. I'm listening. I'm always there for you. I'll right. never leave you alone. What a contrast.
0: Right. And what kind of God would like ask that of his people like to butcher yourself so that you can talk well,
1: to Satan, me? Satan is a murder from the beginning. Yeah, you know? I agree with you. This is what he causes...
0: To do. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. It's what what was happening was evil. Um, yeah. So they continued like this until evening. Um, but there was no voice; no one answered. The Bible says that literally no one paid attention. But of course, we know that a man made God cannot answer man's cries. So now it's Elijah's turn. After all the violence, all the hysterics, Elijah tells the people to come forward to him. He repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took um, 12 stones. Those represent the 12 tribes from the sons of Jacob. And he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar. It was a deep trench. And he laid out the wood and the cut-up ox, and he placed it on the wood. And then he told the people to fill four large jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering. And he has them do this three more times with those four jars. So there's so much water that not only does it cover like the ox, the stones, the wood, it actually fills the trench that's around the altar too. So let's note let's note too the disparity between how the prophets of Baal approach their God and how Elijah approached the one true God. Like he doesn't scream, he doesn't act hysterical, he doesn't cut himself, like he he goes before the Lord humbly, like he's trusting him, he's obedient, like he has nothing, he's nothing to fear. He knows that God has him, and he prays in First Kings eighteen, thirty-six and thirty-seven, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done these things at your word. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that this people may know that you, Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back. And then it says that the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offerings and the wood and the stones, and the dust. And I want you to listen to this next, the imagery on this next part. And it says that, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. So not only does the fire consume the ox, which is already wet, the wood, that's wet, literally, consumes stones, the dust, in the and the space, and water. Right? Mm-hmm. And water. Like, can we just take a second? Like, that's like, wow. Like, That's only God, and it it just. Can you
1: imagine the people standing around, how they would have? Oh my goodness! And 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 ran away in total fear to see this awesome sight, and the heat alone of that kind of fire that would consume stone and water like that—you know—is volcanic. I would think.
0: Yeah, it would have been completely unbelievable, and all I have to say to that is, for our God is a consuming fire. Like that yeah. is who he is. So Hebrews 12, I love Hebrews that. 12, let's go. So Baal's silence magnified the loudness of God. Yahweh is not a God to be mocked. He is a jealous God. And Elijah prayed for, reg- prayed for revival and the God answered with fire. So the people are falling to their faces and they're praising God. They say, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Like this is revival. Like This is what God does. He turns the people's heart back to them and he uses the story to do that. And so the next part of the story is God's justice over sin and idolatry. So Elijah commanded the people to seize the prophets of Baal and all of them were slaughtered for their wickedness. So we know from this that God takes sin super seriously and we know that God will not be mocked for our God is a consuming fire. So as God said to Elijah at the beginning of first Kings 18, um, he sent rain after revival in the hearts of the Israelites. And after judgment had been served, there's this beautiful picture of God sending rain and he, he answered their prayer. So Elijah had told Ahab to go eat and drink because it was raining and Ahab listened. And um, Elijah goes up to the top of a mountain and he bends down to the earth and he puts his face between his knees okay kind of weird stay with me he tells his servant who was with him to look toward the sea the servant looks and says there's nothing so Elijah has a servant do the seven more times which I'm like if I'm his servant I'm being like what are you doing but anyways seven more times and after the seventh time he says that there is a cloud coming up from the sea the servant says this and Elijah tells Ahab to get on his chariot which is that little like buggy thing that's attached to horses and he says don't let the rain stop you like get on your chariot and go and the sky darkens and the wind comes up and it's storming so Ahab is on his chariot and there's a storm going and he's going to Jezreel and then it says that the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he belted his cloak around his waist and out ran Ahab to Jezreel no limping from Elijah he literally ran and outran Ahab all the way to Jezreel. This is wild. Like just when you think the story can't get any more wild, Beth, like
1: yeah, like yeah. this is
0: just God. So
1: I, I, I don't think I could win in a horse race.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. You with know, that. I mean,
1: literally, he was racing against horses.
0: Yeah, here, like and that's.
1: He, but God's supernatural strength came upon him, and he had just had this fantastic uh, emotional experience with God. And I think he just felt almost invincible that God was with him and he could do it.
0: Amen. Amen. And I think that's part of like the significance of this scene was we know that Elijah was human like us. Yet when the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, he could not be stopped. So the same is true. Like for you, the sister listening, when the hand of the Lord is on you, sister, there is no physical limitation, no earthly king or adversary that can stop you from obeying God. And that's just like a word for us today.
1: It, it is. And I like how you qualified that obeying God. It's not that uh, everything that we want, we're going to get 100 you know percent. Yeah, it's it's a matter of if God is calling you to a particular obedience and act of service, he takes it upon himself to see that that happens. And Elijah's just a great example of that. Amen. Amen. Really a good example to that. Well, can I just add a few thoughts here, too? On This is such yeah. a dramatic story. I would love to share a few of the things that came to me as I was looking this over. Um, such a dramatic display of God's power. But this all began with the simple instruction to Elijah from God to tell Ahab that God was going to withhold rain for three years. But that one sentence act, really, it really, that obedience of Elijah utterly changed his life. For three years, God provided only the essentials. Think about that. Only yeah. the essentials for Elijah, mm-hmm. a roof over his head and literally a meal to sustain him. He was really hidden by God and the public. Little did he know the need of such preparation because of what was ahead. After all that dramatic story, we realized this wasn't going to take just any prophet. This was going to take a prophet who had 100% trust that God was going to do, as he said. Um, he would call forth the power and the fire of God, and God would answer. Think about that. He called the power and the fire of God down from heaven. Um, wow. God did it, but God used a man, a mere man, just like us. Now, the symbol of fire really represents, in Scripture, judgment, the judgment of God. Because God is holy, and everything that is unholy will go into judgment and into the fire. Fire also in the scriptures talks about purifying. It purifies the unclean out of it. So by fire, why God judges by fire, it's actually a purifying effect that happens. And you've said it, what, three times, I think, already. Our God is a consuming fire. That's another way of saying our God is holy. And anything that is not holy, not of him, will be judged and it will be burned up. All that sin will one day be gone. Now, this fire falling from heaven we just talked about also represented the acceptance of a sacrifice. God will accept no other sacrifice except the sacrifice of his choosing, So in the Old Testament, we read about all these different kinds of sacrifices. But we know as we read the New Testament now that it all pointed to the only acceptable sacrifice for us today, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was called the Lamb of God, and he is the only way to be made acceptable to God. He's the only way that can burn out the sin and to purify us without faith in the sacrifice and this all consumed burning that Christ went through on the cross, you have, you cannot go into the presence of God. You will go into a fiery judgment is awaiting you. I mm. mean, this is big stuff. This is yeah. sobering. Uh, but w- we need to have this proper perspective. He's not the old guy upstairs, right? He's an all holy God and he's a consuming fire and anything that is unholy will be burned up. In fact, it even at the end of days it talks about a third of the earth will be burned up. That means a third of the earth will have to be purified or made new or a third of the earth will be destroyed because of sin. Um those are some very sobering facts about what this illustration of fire really means.
0: Yeah, I, I think too the story just like makes it clear like how super and how super serious like our sin is like so we see the fire we have this image of fire and God's holiness and like our sin and like that you know it's all going to be burned up but then it's like also like the slaughtering of all the prophets of Baal like there's so many things in this story that point to this this key truth that like for our God is a consuming fire. So I'm so glad that you brought that up. And I also love that like everything always like points to Jesus, (laughs) which is so cool. Yeah. It always does. It always does. I love that. Okay. Sisters. Well, I'm going to pray for us. Um, God, I just thank you so much for how amazing and powerful you are. Um, and just for your holiness and that, um, even though you are holy and we are unholy, you have still made a way for us to be in relationship with you and we don't deserve it and we aren't worthy of it, but we are so grateful. So um, we pray that you also would just renew our reverence and our awe and our fear of you, God, because we know that you are powerful and strong and mighty and you deserve it. I pray for the sister listening, God, that these truths will just just be etched in her heart and in Bev and I's too, um, and that we will just be able to pray Boldly and just trust you um, boldly, just like Elijah did. In your name I pray. Well, sisters, amen. amen, amen. Well, sisters, it was great to be with you today. Join us in two Mondays on She is Becoming.